Lucy Savage. And I'm Claudia F. Savage. And, and we're, we're Thick in the, the Throat, Honey. The podcast where parent artists share how to fit art making into their already full lives. Inspirational cookies. In under 30 minutes. So, you guys had a little chance to talk yes. inside we did. while I was dealing with equipment. So, is there anything we're not supposed to talk about? No, not no. not at all. We were catching up on our uh, shared uh, Naropa connections. Yeah, we were not there at the same time, but we know some of the same people who were there. So that's wonderful to have those connections. And one of the great things about the Kerouac School coming out of the Kerouac School is that you are automatically like part of an international community of writers. And this was like, for me, like before Facebook took off, but Mm -hmm. you know, then Facebook just kind of facilitates it because you can like whatever, hook up with whoever ended up in like, uh, uh, Josepha Conrad, who was a friend there and was fantastic is in Berlin. I mean, I think that's where she was from originally and doing great stuff there. So I mean, so you get yeah. to keep you get to keep in touch. I'm I'm only Naropa by association. I can't. I mean, I'm not. You know, I just I know all the you Naropa people, the, but I didn't yeah. go there, and it was really. I think I well, met. You're just one of the smart ones. You didn't have to put <laughs> yourself in debt for the rest of your life to be able to go. So, yeah. It's true. I never could have afforded to go. A there. Smart hanger on. Yes. <laughs> so so who is this mystery man we're talking about who has all these connections? Well, this Who's is this mystery man. Th- th- this is uh, Christopher Luna. Yes, yes. yes. Christopher, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Christopher Luna is. Not only a dad to an amazing um, young man, but also you are, I would say, a publisher, a facilitator of so many amazing things, which we're going to talk about, like open mics and um, various community things that you do. And you also have a business with with your wife, Tony. Um, tell us about that business a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's called Printed Matter Vancouver. Yeah. And, and both of us have worked as writers and editors, and we both had been doing, you know, mentoring in the poetry community in Vancouver. Yeah. And we wanted to, I guess, kind of make it more official and see whether we could make it into a business. I don't know that it's a a successful business as people (laughs) define such things, but we have noticed that over the last six months or so, we're getting more clients. And I mean, we tend to get people who are, we we don't work just with poets, although a lot of them are poets. We tend to work with people who are really just trying to put a manuscript together um, to, to send out for possible publication and and um we love that we love helping people sort of get manuscripts in shape and i think we both have different strengths and we let the client sort of decide whether they want to work with both of us or just one of us but i I think one of my big strengths is sort of like big picture structural issues like it can help someone figure out um how to arrange things in a in a chapbook or a longer book and yeah yeah so that's i mean that's great wonderful to help people get that stuff together because you know how much anxiety people have when, oh. and people need help and I think smart people get help for those things that they're not personally you know or even if you are great at it you have to have another set of eyes on your stuff so that it turns out okay yeah definitely and definitely. if, and if uh, many of you out there aren't familiar with Christopher um, and his services well just you know you're in good hands because this man was the inaugural poet laureate of Clark County Washington yes, yes. right yes. <laughs> tell us a little bit about that I mean because 
Okay, so... They didn't have a Poet Laureate before. So I arrived from New York under unusual circumstances, and like uh, I got to Washington State in 2001 and Vancouver in 2003. In 2003, Vancouver, Washington was really boring. I'm not saying anything controversial. <laughs> no, I'm, a, I'm a native from the anything, region here, and, and, yeah. and you know, uh, my cousins grew up in Vancouver, and it's it's achieving a level of status that it hadn't had oh, before. Tell what, tell, what the, tell what they used to call it. I mean, come changed. on. They still kind of... Well, I, I, I mean... There are numerous names. Uh, the Couve, I think, is the most affectionate yeah. one. I like yes. the Couve the most because yeah. it's uh, more than Van Tucky. Sounds filthy. That's the one that's <laughs> the <Yeah>. sounds filthy. <laughs> yeah, Van is definitely insulting. You know, not yes. that crazy about it. But because I'm from Long Island, I felt like I was like uh, I had the the right qualifications to help the Vancouver poets sort of he- hold their heads high. But but if we go back to the beginning of it, in 2003, 2004, the Portland Poetry Community was great to me. I, I made mm-hmm. many good friends. They gave me places to do things. Walt Curtis had me on the air on KBU, like when nobody knew who I was. So that was really wonderful to be embraced yeah. by that community. KBU, but man. KBU so, will do it, yeah. Yeah, so I'm in oh, Vancouver and I'm uh, bored because it's boring and not much is going on. There's, <laughs> there's definitely not a lot of literary art stuff going mm-hmm. on. And I thought... Um, you know, I'm here because of my son. He was uh, like one and a half when we got to Washington so, and around four when I split with his mom. So I knew that I was sticking around for him. And I thought, well, I could, you know, in New York, complaining is like a birthright. You know, <laughs> you do it no matter what. It's just a survival skill. I knew that I could just complain or I could try to create something. And so in November 2004, I started a reading series. At the time, it didn't have a name. Uh, at a place called Ice Cream Renaissance. I didn't know whether people were going to buy ice cream when they came in, but they did. It turns out if you bring poets or anybody to an ice cream place, they go, oh, there's ice cream here. I think I'll have some. I didn't know you did so it ice cream. Cool. Yeah. So it was awesome. cool to me that we were making money because, I mean, right. we're not paying for any of the spaces that we've used right. for it. Right. And the reason that it eventually was called Ghost Town Poetry Open Mic, and this will bring us back to the Poet Laureate thing, is that... When I first got to town, it freaked me out that I could walk down the streets in Vancouver in the middle of the day and not see any people. Uh-huh, you know, yeah. even on Long Island, which is sleepier than New York City or whatever, yeah. there's people everywhere all the time. And I told um, people that I was complaining about the Northwest too that eventually I would see a tumbleweed, and I did. <laughs> um, so anyway, so uh, so Ghost Town was sort of like my New York, you know, sort of put down of Vancouver, oh, and then funny. later on it became. Uh, you know, more of like a badge of honor as we were really like saying to the Portland community, yes. let, you know, we're doing good things on our side of the river. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't need you. And we don't mean that in any kind of disrespectful way, but just to say there's great art being made over here, too. Yes. And uh, that was the role that I was sort of taking in the community. And so for me, the reason why I was the first poet laureate and it was essentially created for me was like as an acknowledgement of the stuff I was doing through Ghost Town because, I mean, to me, open mics are an opportunity to build community because open mics draw people who are relatively new, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. just those people, but a lot of people that are really new to writing right. and people who are looking for opportunities, workshops, resources. And I can still remember the time in my life where I felt like there were all these things I wanted to know or that I needed access to. And it really feels like there are all these people sort of over here you know, on the other side of some kind of invisible wall. And you're trying to get over and you, there. And you have you no how idea to how to yeah. meet them or get to them or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so in, in a lot of ways, that's what I've done. And, and doing that was sort of what led to them wanting to acknowledge that by 
because you know a poet laureate at whatever you know city state country is uh is an ambassador for poetry and that's what i was already doing for mm-hmm. a really right. long time before they created the position so i was happy to do it and then the position lasted a little bit longer than it should um probably i did it for five years and they're usually two-year terms Uh so then i basically begged the clark county arts commission who gave me the honor to to let me stop doing it so that it would not lose credibility and it's taken them a little bit of time but they they did find a a second poet laureate who they will announce soon i don't think i could say who it is yet but soon it will be announced that they have found the second well christopher i have to say like like, it's i think it's awesome you know unlike our presidency it's really great for a poet to like have a little longer term than like (laughs) well and then and then to not king yourself in clark Clark county you know well what i said to them was it's not the supreme court i'm not supposed to do this for the rest of my life and the truth is that what was really great about being poet laureate is that they, they weren't really asking me to do anything I wasn't already doing. Right, right. So it's all about, and this is the same for any poet laureate, including the U.S. laureate. You're sort of like, what it does is the title in front of your name gives you license to meet people you might not otherwise meet and make requests. You know, mm-hmm. oh. Say, I have this great idea. Do you think you can help me make it happen? And what, then, it, what then people that, will listen to you. Yeah, I was going to say, what happened where that was concerned? What did uh, you do well, I, well, we got poems on the buses there, which is still happening. Ooh. I'm not as directly connected as I was, mm-hmm. but we did, Tony and I, through Printed Matter Vancouver, yeah. in partnership with Arts of Clark County and C-Tran, did five seasons of that. They're like six-month seasons. Yeah. And we alternated between adult poems and student poems. And that has some connection to... Uh, you know, like every poet laureate has a project. And what I really wanted to do for years was start a Poets in the Schools program. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did during the first two years. I wanted to make sure I established that. Mm-hmm. And then we sort of tied it in with the Poetry Moves with the bus program. So uh, so we do a contest for the adults, and they're up from Poetry Moves, January. that's a good name. I like yeah, that. it is, yeah. right? <laughs> January to June, the adult poems. And then the students who were part of the Poets in the Schools program, uh, we have some of their poems selected for July through the end of the year and so now they're getting ready uh to begin july 6th they're gonna have the student poems go up and i think that'll be the sixth season they're calling them seasons so i that, love it that's yeah. great and i mean i i felt lucky after we did one season of it like yeah. i thought maybe ctran would like this for a little while and let us do it once or maybe mm-hmm. twice and so everything since season one has been gravy as far as i'm concerned but i mean uh they loved it i mean there's no i mean it's it's a win-win to to do this kind of public art. I mean, there's nobody who uh, who dislikes it. I mean, no one who's ever said, can you take those poems <laughs> off the bus, please? You know what I mean? I, I, I can't stand that there so are poems hard. on I, I like bus, it, too. You know? <laughs> I, I like it, too, because growing up in Portland, you know, C-Tran was sort of this... I, I had a friend who, who lived... Uh, I, I know, yeah, he lived in Vancouver. His parents were in Vancouver, but he attended Franklin High School. Mm-hmm. So he'd take C-Tran. And it was this strange, what is this strange bus? Where does this go? It wasn't really part of Portland. And so, you know, by putting poetry on a bus, on C-Tran, you're really making, you know, making Vancouver weird. Like you're kind of, you're stepping up the game for yeah. Vancouver. And well, I think about it a, a little lot, thing. It's connecting it to the larger metro area. I did this whole, when I first I like got it. there, I didn't have a car. And I did this whole series that turned into a chapbook and that I have now a full length that I'm hoping to get published of what I call the Ghost Town Poems. Uh, the book is called Ghost Town USA. And because I didn't have a car when I was first in town, uh, the early poems are me walking around town and taking the bus and taking the bus with Angelo when he was small. And... Um, it's a good thing for a writer to do to use public transportation because you have a a more direct experience Mm -hmm. of your life. And um, what I realized about taking the bus every day is that the people who are on the bus 
are, are all the people that, that certain people in our society want to forget. Mm -hmm. So That's they're right. on their way back and forth to social services or to court right. or uh, jail. Mm -hmm. um, they're people who rely on the bus to get to work. They're commuters, yeah. uh, the, uh, uh, mentally disabled, like, mm -hmm. you know, anybody who people are trying to like push new homeless, you know, uh, end up on the bus. And uh, so so this was part of the shift that happened with the shift of the ghost town name, too, is that eventually uh, the poems were less about me making sarcastic remarks about the Pacific <laughs> Northwest and more about trying to be like a, um, I call it like linguistic photorealism, like seeing if I could mm -hmm. honor these people on the bus and in Vancouver by presenting them in as straightforward a way as possible. Like I was, yeah. it was very rare with the Ghost Town poems to um, editorialize unless somebody did something that was really horrible. Like I've got this poem about this woman who has her, her earbuds in and her, and her child is singing to her, singing, I love you, I love you. And she's like, not hearing it she's not <sighs> taking them out you know mm -hmm. but unless something like that happened what i my aim with those was to just you know be like a writer as camera a writer as performer uh not performer reporter you know sort of mm -hmm. just present it as it is and, and and trust that that will uh dignify them somehow or help people to be reminded that they exist you know at least mm -hmm. and uh yeah, so, and then my personal story, including the things that happened with me and Angelo, had to be a part of it because the Ghost Town poems exist because of uh, Ed Sanders and investigative poetry. I, I got to study with Ed a little bit in Colorado at the Kerouac School, and one of the things that was great about it was I had a film background. Uh, Stan Brackage was still alive, and he was at University of Colorado, and then Ed Sanders comes and talks about investigative poetry, which is basically like doing a poetry that uh, where you use the same skills that like a, a journalist or a historian right. would use to write narrative poetry. And what Ed says in his book about it is that if you're writing about your own time period, like times that you lived through, you could be a character in the story. So that was the approach hmm. I took to the mm -hmm. ghost town poems that, uh, you know, I don't know, 75, 80% of the, of the stories are not about me. I'm the, just the observer. Okay. But then those places where... I had an opportunity to tell a story about being whatever, uh, right. you know, stranger in a strange land, New Yorker in right. the, you know, very mysterious to me, Pacific Northwest culture, um, <laughs> that I would take those opportunities and I would tell those stories too. And then things that happened with, with Angela and I was going to ask you, yeah. Went to the library or met strange people on the bus or mm -hmm. whatever happened, you know. And how so. he interacts. I've noticed that mm -hmm. when you have children with you, especially like on public transport, it's just amazing how many more people interact with you. Like, yeah. you know, like they just, they just interact with the child. They, you know, they want to like, they're like, oh, how are you today? Oh, what a nice outfit you're wearing. Or, you know, whatever it is. It's yeah. sort of like, it brings out, you know, people talk about that with having a dog, but it's even more, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, even I mean, more true. Yeah, that I was taking the number four with River and that happened the other day. You know, yeah. people were yeah. engaging her and yeah. talking and that we were talking. Yeah, and early on he'd get on the bus, you know, dressed as Batman or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, just gives, that just gives people, you know. Yeah. It's um, an icebreaker, Batman. Yeah. And, and you learn things about culture. Uh, yeah. Like um, we have a lot of people from Russia and the Ukraine in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And before I lived there, I didn't know that history, but apparently for a long time, people have been coming from that part of the world to this part of the world yeah. and um, they uh, the older uh, ladies would uh, hand Angela like a piece of uh, candy like as soon oh, as they saw him you know wow. and you know you grow up in New York the first thing you think is someone is trying to poison my child you know what I mean <laughs> so, the, so the first time that it happened I was a little bit uh, you know leery and then I thought about it and I was like you know 
uh, if he wanted it, I let him have it. It wasn't like a big right. deal. You You're know, like, but... it's a grandma. Let me get yeah, my right, head right, together. Right. Yeah. It's grandma. It's like kind of remembering that, you know, not everybody out there is there to harm your child. And some, <laughs> right. some of them just want to say hi because he's cute. And... Right. He's small yeah. and adorable. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about that? Um, just in terms of, we always ask this sort of question about mm-hmm. people's practice and how, um, like your writing practice or anything like that, like how that has, how that shifted based on having your child. Like. Yeah. So like from the time he was like born until maybe he was like eight, mm-hmm. I had um, this project of sort of, at first it was tracking his acquisition of language and then it was just writing down the interesting things that he said. Yeah. And um, they, once he was really talking quite a bit, they became like maybe like a four or five page prose poem per month you know mm-hmm. and the, and I was aware of the fact that this could be weird for him but a lot of the poems happened at periods of time when the, when he was so young that he wasn't paying a whole lot of attention like sometimes he would notice me writing and if he ever asked me to stop writing I would stop but I was pushing him around Vancouver in one of those jogging strollers <laughs> and trust me if you've ever seen me oh. I don't jog <laughs> But they, they allow you to put a lot of stuff underneath the stroller yeah, yeah. awesome. and they move in such a smooth way. Yeah. And I was able to put a, put a little notebook up on the sort of cup holder that's at the top mm-hmm, of the thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And he would babble on and say his things that he was saying that were incredible. Amazing. And, and I would just write them down. And I, I did wonder at the time whether it was possible that this would mean, you know, like years of therapy for him later. But it didn't really seem that way. And I mean, once he got old enough to talk to me about you know the poems that I was writing or knowing that I was a poet and yeah. talk about those things like I said it's the same thing you would do with an adult is like use respect so if he ever said you know put your notebook away I put it away but I mostly I think um just like with ghost town because yeah. when I started that series he was four and so he's splitting time between his mom and me but there were certain times where I was he was with me I was taking care of him so he had to be at the reading whether he wanted to be there or not and I really feel <laughs> like um giving children the opportunity to be around the arts yes. is all you need to do. That's right. So, and I also had the family ties nightmare of like, I don't want to be the reason that he hates poetry because I jam it down his throat his whole life. So when we went to art shows or when I, when I brought him to the reading, he was able to sit and quietly do whatever he wanted. Um, and part of the reason I knew that this would work for him in particular is that I was taking him to story times at the library when he was a toddler right. and he never wanted to sit on the ground in front of the librarian and listen to the story. And, and, and he would want to be on one of the computers or looking at a book or something like that. And then one of the days that, and I would let him do that because I don't believe in telling him what to do. It's just not my way of doing things. And I noticed that he was listening to all the stories. Like he was really, he just was a nonconformist already. You know, right. he didn't, he didn't wanna, want to sit. Didn't our daughter does to a, sit our still. daughter right. hates that too. And I'm totally yeah. I'm totally hip to that because I don't like being told what to do either. And and basically like that's my parenting philosophy has been like I thought years before I had a child or knew I was gonna have a child, I thought about how the parent child relationship is inherently fascist, right? And so being somebody <laughs> who it, because you're bigger than them, because you can have control if you want to at any right. moment by just grabbing them, right? It's true. And I believe in personal freedom and I value my own personal freedom. So I thought, if I ever have the chance to do this, I'm going to do the best that I can to allow my child to have as much autonomy as possible and learn how to think for himself and make decisions for himself. And I could feel especially the younger he was it was more of an issue i could feel the silent judgment of other people who thought that i was being whatever they thought too indulgent or that i was going to raise some kind of 
criminal or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever it is that people think if you're not tough enough with your kids. Right. I could feel all that and I didn't care because I knew that just like with Ghost Town, the idea is if you believe in something enough to give it a try, then you get to find out like what works and doesn't work about it. So the thing that I did with Ghost Town that is not what everybody would do is uh, no time limits, no rules, Whoa. no disclaimers yeah. at the beginning about what you can say and not say because right. I hate that. Other people hate it. And what I noticed about the readings where those things happen is those are the readings where people hijack the mic and do 20 minutes as on a regular basis because it's it's human nature to resist when someone tells you what to so do. So wait a minute, let me go so, straight, Christopher. Like so you, like you don't have time limits. No, and that's the reason why first, from the beginning, we had oh. to have venues that would let us stay late and the reading's been like three hours plus from the beginning. <laughs> this is where this is where you are totally we from have Europa. A, yeah. Oh my gosh, this is We hysterical. have a featured reader and like, I don't know, 25 open mic readers. So it's a real Whoa. endurance test for people. But it's also just you know. like, that is just... I mean, that is a welcoming space. I mean, I've seen your... Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just to caveat, like, um, Christopher sends out this great newsletter every month that sort of talks about not just his own work um, and what he's doing, but also, like, all the people in the community and what they're doing. Like, it's just... You're such a community builder. So, thank you for thank that. Thank you. I'm bowing to him. Yeah, and um, it's all... With Angelo and with yeah. Ghost Town, it's all golden rule stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's almost... It's not the path of least resistance. It's the path of no resistance, right? So... So Ghost Town is like an experiment in anarchy to see what would happen if you trust the people (laughs) to self-police. So what ended up happening is in like 14 years of doing it, I've had like a handful of people that I've had to privately talk to and say, hey, you know what? This is an open mic. You can't do 20 minutes for your piece of an open mic when there's 20 people waiting, you know? But Mm -hmm. it's been very rare that I've had to do that. So essentially by trying it, by giving it a try and believing in what I thought would work, the thing did work and a lot and Tony and I have talked about this a lot people learn so much more from modeling so a lot of it has been about modeling how to be a a well-behaved human at a poetry reading and then trusting (laughs) that the poetry that the poets would sort of follow through and that's what they do and I've been to all all kinds of readings in different parts of the country and they're not all friendly they're they're not all (laughs) well-behaved but I wanted to see I mean and I can't I don't feel a need or want to control those other people in those other readings or any person so all but I can control something that I create so I created this thing tried to do it and now all these years later I mean it's basically working and and another example of something that people might have guessed would happen that didn't happen at ghost town is um like revenge poetry like, mm-hmm. I knew that there were interpersonal things going on in the poetry community. Revenge I mean, poetry? I knew about that. I don't that. even know what that... Well, you know, like, when someone gets up and reads a poem about the person that they just broke up with and, like, oh. airs all their dirty laundry right. and right. really right. sticks right. it to them. Right. That doesn't happen at Ghost Town. I don't know why. I was waiting for it to happen for years just because <laughs> I figured it's human nature, right? So, yeah. so to bring it back to Angelo, so the idea with Angelo is um, <laughs> instead of... Uh, being on his case constantly about every little tiny thing because you can. I decided uh, to not uh, really um, play that card, the I'm bigger than you card or whatever you want to call it, or I'm the parent card, unless he was really getting ready to do something to harm himself or somebody else, right? And that means you have to have a lot more patience. It means you have to have trust. It means that you are essentially modeling for them a uh, like taking responsibility for themselves and you could imagine like with a child it takes a long time for that to really you know gel I guess and then Mm -hmm. you have a lot of frustrating times especially when they're really small Uh, but I believed in it and I believed it was the right thing to do uh, because I had the opposite you know with my own father or whatever and 
what I have now as a result is, and he just turned 18 and graduated from high school, is yeah. like a, a, a kid who's like more emotionally mature than I, than I was at that time or 10 years after that. And, <laughs> and really um, thoughtful, philosophical, polite. I mean, I'm, you know, as much as I believe in free speech and have a big mouth and all that kind of stuff, I really think things like like manners and basic sort of, you know, important behaving right. in a yeah, decent way towards humans is important. That, but that all goes together, though, Christopher, yeah. because that all goes together. Like that's uh, to me, that's that sounds like what you're doing with your with your um, open mic as the, well. The fostering right. of respect within a community and, and, and trust. appreciation yeah. and trust and, and trust that things. other people will be kind to right. each other. Right. And, like, but a lot of respect. parents will tell you that unless you really bring the hammer down, your kid is never even going to be able to do we those things. We have not found and that, that is to be not, true either. Not at all. That's not complete, what happened. Bringing the hammer down in this house just makes more chaos. Yeah, yeah. yeah we actually, for all three of us. Yes, we, I mean we we found this is I mean this is a good thing to talk about that we found that um, our daughter is uh, you know people say sensitive well she is an incredibly sensitive kid mm-hmm. and I think you know having a child with two artists tends to bring that out sure, probably yeah. but I think what that means is that like even on times where I'm like I want to rush through something like rush through an emotional experience like she needs like no like serious caretaking in that space and like that means not just patience but also just kind of me going wow i thought i was a patient person but actually oh i need to take like 20 more deep breaths in this yeah, moment yeah. to to work through this space i mean you've you've lived through it like your kid yeah. is this is part of the reason we wanted to have you on i like to have the mix on our podcast mm-hmm. of people who have like itty bitty infants and they're sort of in the fire and then people who are like no my kid is is quote unquote grown although it yeah never ends, right? and it's sort of like process of elimination parenting in a sense mm-hmm. like i had this long mental list and i still do of things that i've watched other parents do including my own parents but also parents out in public yeah. uh, that i just thought were wrong in some way or not okay or not necessary maybe would be a way to describe some of it yeah. and i made sure that i didn't do those things and it turns out that if you you know using that process of elimination don't do those things most of the time you end up being dad of the year by default you know what i mean <laughs> like, without doing much else. and i had less stress in my life and less of that like you know how like kids can make you crazy sometimes oh, right yeah. i had some of that but i didn't have as much as the people whose every moment of their life was about having total control over this little yes. person i didn't want that control over him or any other person on the planet mm. so i didn't assert it you know what i mean and I, and i think i was happier as well he was happier and i had a, a no lying policy which yep. i try to have with everybody but it was especially important with him because i remember how hard i took it times when i had realized that my parents or other adults had lied to me when i was a kid and i think all kids are like that mm-hmm. so yeah. i just tried as hard as i could to never lie to him about anything and you know you can frame things in a certain way depending on the kid's age but right. i was really careful about not lying to him when he asked me a direct question about anything whether it was about the divorce or whatever it was you know Uh and so i think what happens as a result of again having that level of trust and patience is that once he got to those years that are tougher you know teenage years you know that kind of thing that there was a basic trust there Mm -hmm. that i wouldn't have had if i had taken the other approach and and i'll tell you something i don't think this would embarrass him to hear because it's it's directed by him like he's 18 and one of his favorite things to do is to sit at the table with me and we read comics together. That's and I mean, fabulous. That's, that's cool. And, you know, and yeah. I told him I was not, you know, I, I was not friends with my father. Yes. And I could not have imagined at 18 or, or today, like, doing something like that. I mean, we watch a lot of television, which a lot of people do. But if you think about it, that, that's very sort of passive, even, you know, right. you might have conversations. And, no. and Angelo and I watch TV. But, I mean, it blows my mind. It blew my mind when he was 15 that at 15 he would want to 
sit in and read comics with his father. And I mean, it doesn't mean that he wasn't socializing. He wasn't with friends. Of course, he does all that stuff, too. But, you know, I just wasn't for me like my from I didn't really have. I wasn't open to having a positive relationship with my parents from like 11 to like 25 or something like that. Uh I thought they were the stupidest people in the world. And it wasn't until just before Angelo was born that it started to occur to me that they that they had done some things right and that there were some positive things as well. And that some of that is emotional maturity. But because that had been my experience to then be able to have a kid like when he turned 12, I kept waiting for like for the other shoe to drop just because of my own life and the Mm -hmm. stories that you hear I I kept waiting for him to wake up in the morning and decide to hate me (laughs) (laughs) right and then every whatever day or month or year that that didn't happen eventually I had to just say just from and from a logical standpoint I guess maybe this isn't going to happen or at least I'm getting a reprieve for a little while And, and I mean now he's 18 and he's still you know he likes me and I like him and we trust and respect each other yeah he is reaching a point in his life where he's spending more time um, away from me than he did before but it's not to get away from me you know what I mean yes, it's not the it's reason normal. it's because it's, it's what's supposed to be happening discover you know? his own life and, yeah. yes. and yeah. I'm very happy for him yeah. to do that and yeah. I feel very lucky when I have those times now that we can I mean one of the things that happened was he had to do a senior project and he mm-hmm. decided to do a pretty great senior project of recording uh, some uh, Beatles songs you know and so he, he got he's at an art school and there you know he got various musicians and he did the singing you know the cool. lead the lead vocals cool. and that was his project but that meant that from I don't know it felt like I don't know maybe April March through, <laughs> or, or through, through the end of the school year uh, we didn't see him very much he was working he was working hard to get this yeah. thing done we'd like to thank you all again listening and remind you that you can subscribe to our podcast and catch us at thickinthethroathoney.com subscribe to our podcast on itunes and soundcloud and also look for us on all the wonderful social media channels such as medium where our blog is housed instagram facebook and occasionally youtube and remember art is messy but so sweet